0: Uh, has been. A, I've got my stage director over there who says, "Come forward." Uh, as, as we said, it's been a bit of a, a crazy week, and um, Thursday was supposed to be the day to do the PowerPoint for this. Um, I muse over a sermon for a long time, and then it comes. It has to go by brain to hand and then it gets typed. I can't do that. Um, so no PowerPoint today, guys. But Katie McLachlan said, that's all right. If you've got a problem, you can talk to her, all right? So I've given that one away. Um, it does mean actually you're going to have to have your own Bibles open. I've got a spare one here if you want, because I've got it. And it probably means um, you might have to listen a little bit more, because there's nothing kind of that's feeding it into you. Is that, we have got them. we got the work, there's just the scripture okay we'll be kind to you (laughs) i love reading Uh, i don't know what you would do to relax but i love reading that's one of my things i go to a book um uh, but and once i've got my head in a book there's no talking to me brian will tell you that um and i read last thing before i go to sleep and you know how it is you get to the end of the chapter I, i say to him i'll just get to the end of the chapter and then i'll turn the light off and i get to the end of the chapter and i think oh, what's coming next? Because I'm in a lot of crime thrillers and things, and so I go to the next one, and, and so on. Um, the problem with reading the Bible, and it's been rather arbitrarily divided into chapters, so you don't get the kind of cliffhanger, and often we need the continuity. Um, and uh, we start the next chapter, and you think, okay, so why is that there? Where on earth did it come from? And in a sense, that's where we're at today, because... The encounter at the burning bush started at the beginning of chapter three of Exodus. And if you like, chapter four is part two, but there's no division bit. And uh, although we've already had two sermons, there's technically, I suppose we're in part three, but anyway, we're going to start reading at the end of chapter three, so we get the flow of of the continuity. And this is how it goes. It's quite a long passage. But this is God talking to Moses, all right? But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform on them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in a house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. And Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This said the Lord is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It become as white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, said God. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Pretty dramatic stuff, isn't it? Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I think that's a little bit hypocritical, actually. Um, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave the humans their mouths? (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) who gave the humans their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the silence with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you were dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. He took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood, she said to me. To me, she said, so the Lord let him alone. Fascinating last little bit, which we will come to. I think chapters three and four of Exodus are questions of identity. Uh, chapter three is answering the question, who is God? Answered, of course, with that amazing revelation that God is Yahweh, I am. All that there have ever has been, all that there ever will be is God. He is uncreated. There is no predicate to that sound. Normally we say, I am, and we put another word in, I am kind, I am, but this is no predicate. This is, I am. The essence, the mystery, the all that there is, is Yahweh, the God. And so if chapter three is all about answering the question, who is God? Then chapter four is all about answering the question, who is Moses? God says, okay, I've told you who I am. So who are you Moses? Who do you think you are? And God spends the chapter opening Moses up to that question and spelling out the ramifications of the answers. Let's go back to the in our minds to the beginning of chapter 3 because we need to get that context. Moses is going about the daily job, all right? He's a shepherd, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, being part of the family business. He's left behind his life as a prince quite topical, isn't it? I think we've read a little bit about somebody leaving the life of a prince behind recently. And he settled for ordinariness, or so he thinks. Maybe Moses has forgotten that God saved his life as a baby in a miraculous way, that he was picked up by a princess of Egypt, that his mother was brought in to nurse him. Maybe that's kind of all gone into the past. Whatever, he's doing the day job and God calls to him out of a burning bush. Now many of us find it difficult to hear the voice of God sometimes, but Moses really hasn't got that excuse here. He's by a bush that's burning and not burnt and he hears God's voice. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And God gives him a task. He calls him and he gives him a task. But Moses argues the toss. To be honest, I think he's got quite a nerve the way he argues with God. I'm not sure I'd have that gall in front of a burning bush. And um, he's already read two objections in chapter three before chapter four begins. And I think God is losing patience with Moses at this point in time. So he addresses the question Moses asked in chapter three, verse 11, Moses himself says, who am I? And God says, okay, Moses, You ask the question, let's go with it. Let's find out with that. And he comes up with three answers for Moses, one negative and two positives. This is where you haven't got the PowerPoint. And the first thing that God says to Moses, you are not what you do. You are not what you do. Now you notice that God says, what's that in your hand? Now that seems like a daft question. There's Moses standing there. And God says, what have you got in your hand? And Moses says, "Um, a staff, it's a a rod, you know. (laughs) And um, the word he uses actually, of course, is a much more specific word. It's a shepherd's staff. All right. Like in Psalm 23, where the Lord talks about being the shepherd and your rod and your staff, they go with me. So the staff is the symbol of his work. It's like the various guilds of London used to have um, symbols, didn't they? The Guild of Grocers' symbol is nine clothes. I'm not quite sure why that is. Um, and I, I wonder, what would be your symbol of your work if you had to come out? Um, I think for me, it would probably be a pen and a microphone. That kind of just about sums up what I spend a lot. Anybody got an idea of what, what the symbol of their work might be? A speed train), uh, a speed train. A Hoover, I love it. I love it. You know, but anyway, he's carrying the symbol of his work. And God tells him to throw down his staff. And it's then transformed into a snake, which is a bit scary. I mean, he runs away. And then he's told to pick up the snail by its tail. Now, the last thing you do is pick up a snail by its tail because it leaves the head free to bite you. I mean, this is a serious trust issue for Moses. Uh, You know, it's got, you really mean, you really mean the tail? Um, And it's then transformed back into a staff. Um, And there's a greater significance to this than just a trick. In fact, if you look later on in chapter seven, the Egyptian magicians can do exactly this. Moses does this and Pharaoh says to his magicians, right, come on, guys, rods on the ground and the snakes appear. So it's not just about the trick. And I think what we need to realize is that um, God is saying to Moses, who are you, Moses, a shepherd Lay down your shepherding tool and see how I transform it. And the other thing you understand, need to understand what's going on here is that a snake was a symbol of the Pharaoh's power. The Pharaoh's crown had a cobra in its... As its so the snake is the designation of Egypt and its power. And uh, so as long as Moses identifies himself by what he does, as long as he sees himself as just a shepherd, he wouldn't make any progress in finding God's purpose for him. So the symbol of laying down the staff and it being transformed into a serpent, serpent, which Moses then overpowers, is God saying to him, I've got another mission for you. I've got another calling for you. But first you have to give up letting your, ident- your, ident- your work define your identity. God's lesson here is you are not what you do. Sometimes he asks us to give up what we're doing only for him to give it back to us. And we go back to being a shepherd, but it's been transformed because we've given it to him. And look at verse 20, if you've got verse 20 there, at the end of this encounter, how is Moses' staff described there? It's now the staff of God. It's no longer his shepherd's staff. It's the staff of God's. The mission he is now on, the job he is doing is now God's job for him. What he does belongs to God. We are not what we do. Years ago, I was a stay at home mum. People would say to me, what's your name? What do you do? And uh, we had a ministry with international students. Our house was full of students. I could have said that. Our kids never knew what color face they were gonna be dandled on the knee of or what the language was going to be. But God had said to me, how many children have been through your hands, Marian, while you've been a teacher? Hundreds. And he says, now I'm giving you these three. That's your ministry now, these three. And I never, for one moment, regret giving up those years while they were small to take care of my kids. Yes, it was sometimes humbling when people said to you, oh, what's your name? what do you do? And then you could almost feel the sort of looking down their noses at you. And I should get really angry about that. Although it didn't show it, I hope. Um, we didn't have much money. Um, there was no Tesco for clothes, so you may end up making, but it didn't matter. And if you had told me then that 20 years later, I would start on a ministry where I was traveling and speaking internationally and did, I would have laughed at you. I would have said, you have got to be joking. I mean, it wasn't just little old me. I mean, I was little old me. There was nothing, there was nothing there. But we are not what we do. That doesn't define us. The important is to be obedient to what God calls us to do at that season and at that time. And always look for the new calling. Just because you've had one calling doesn't mean to say that's a lifetime one. Be open for it. And then God can transform what you just does. As, and the lesson is reinforced with the leprous hand, puts it in again, big trust, <laughs> comes out leprous, but it's, he transforms. He's in the business of transformation and then giving it to us to go with the transformation. So you are not what you do. The second answer to who are you, Moses, is you are the creation of God. You are made by God. That's where your identity lies. And it comes from Moses raising yet another objection. He's got some bottle, this guy, you've got to give it to him. But he says, I'm not a speaker. And in a sense, you feel he's comparing himself to Aaron. Here's the one that's a speaker and you're asking me to do it? He's still talking out of his human existence and God thunders at him that she says he's angry. Who gave human beings their mouths? Is it not I the Lord? No, I go, I will help you speak and teach you what you to say. Who made your mouth? I did Moses. Can't I put words into it? Moses stopped thinking like a shepherd. I made you, you're my creation. Who are you, Moses? You're the one created by God. It's not about your abilities. It's about what I can do through you. Alec Matthias says, it is his omnipotence that matters, his all-powerfulness, not our competence. Our competence comes from you. Does God use our natural abilities? Of course he does. And there's a lot of overlap between shepherding sheep and shepherding people, which is what he's going on to do. Jesus used the shepherding uh, imagery and God was gonna use all the experience that Moses had as a prince of Egypt. What did he learn while he was in the palace? Leadership skills, I suspect. But he had to learn but the responsibility laid to God, who was entrusting to him. Have you ever turned a deaf ear to God asking you to do something? Because you said, oh, I can't do that. Never done that before. Um, I learnt the lesson this week. Okay, so this uh, this was all prepared over a week ago, right? Then I get a phone call. Actually, my phone had been ringing off and off most of Tuesday, but I'd been in a board meeting. So at seven o'clock, I answer the phone and it's Rodrigo uh, and he says uh, we've had to evacuate the team from Lesvos from the camp um, and we need somebody to debrief them in the next couple of days they're in Athens um, and this is seven o'clock at night and I'm just finishing the preparations for the Moroccan meal so I've got 12 people coming for a three-course meal can I go to Athens the next day and I, and I said let me think and pray about it, Rodrigo. And I, put, and I think, this is crazy. I can't, go, I can't go to Athens. I mean, what is, no. <laughs> this was the immediate answer. You know, and then, and, and God seemed to be saying, mm. so I said to Brian and Katie, please, will you pray? And then I rang my friend Sini in, in Switzerland, who's my best buddy and my mentor and my spiritual partner. I said, Sini, I've had this call, please will you pray and let me know what you think. Not, bring me back later, all right? <clears throat> so we start our meal, you know, and we're, you know, and at some point in the meal, Bethany turns to me and she said, you think you should go, don't you? I said, how do you know that? She said, something there, you know? And then Brian said, I think you should go. <laughs> and then Seanie rang and she said, I think you should go. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, at that point, God said, what are you saying on Sunday? I'm saying it's not about our abilities (laughs) and he said right okay so I'm not asking you to go because you can do it I'm asking you to go because I want you there and because I've got a purpose will you go so just after 8 I ran Rodrigo back and said I'm coming I booked a ticket we left home at 4 o'clock Thursday morning Brian drove me to, to Luton. I was in Athens by midday. Um, I had lunch. I then did a two and a half hour debrief with this team that had come out of the bar. Bio- I can't go into all what's happening in, in Minos, but it's, it's pretty awful and they'd all been threatened. And uh, so we did a two and a half hour group debrief, which is their opportunity to tell the story and hear each other, because when we're in a crisis situation, we all experience it differently. Then I did two one hour debriefs before supper, And then on Friday, I did eight one-hour debriefs before we went for a meal at eight o'clock. And then I got up four o'clock yesterday morning, two o'clock your time to take the flight back to get to my son's birthday lunch. Um, So it has been a crazy crazy week, but I slept well last night. But but, you know, God had to say to me, Marion, it's not about what you can do. I want you there and I'm gonna see to it. And he did. It was absolutely him. And they, they have worked through things really well. They've still got stuff to work through, but it was really precious, precious time with these six single girls and two married couples. Anyway, so you should always have God speak to you first before you deliver it um, to anybody else. Anyway, okay. Who are you, Moses? You are not what you do. You are the creation of God for what He purposes for you. And thirdly, you are a child of the covenant. Now, Moses goes back to f- his father-in-law Jethro. Jethro is a fascinating man. Go and do a study on Jethro sometime, right? He's a priest of Midian. Uh, so fascinating and this isn't spoiler alert it's not the last time we see him in Exodus all right so he will come up against again anyway goes back to Jethro and says I'm taking your daughter and two grandsons off you may never see them again but I've got to go back to my people and Jethro says okay blesses him Um, and then we have these strange verses that begin in verse 24 about Zipporah his wife and circumcision Now, it's interesting that it's his wife, the Midianite, who understands what God's saying to Moses. And perhaps it's the first time that she's really been seen to embrace the, the, the faith of Moses. I think she's been a believer for a while, but she really comes out of this with full marks. So what's going on here? We read that the God wants to kill Moses. Now you have to understand Middle Eastern thought here to understand what's going on, because in Middle Eastern thought, the intention or the word can replace the action. So you'll see a group of, and they're all like this, and you think, ah, the whole place is gonna go off. And then they'll all go off and pat each other's back. Because if I say to you, I could kill you, I don't have to do it because I've expressed it, all right? It's a way of expressing severe anger. And for some reason, it has not been explained God is very angry with Moses and Moses doesn't really seem to get it but Zipporah understands and the third answer to his question of who are you is you're a child of the covenant now he was part of the covenant people of God Moses now do you remember that we did a series on Galatians last year Yes, we got a little bit fed up with circumcision last year when we were doing, but it was all about covenant. Do you remember? It was all about the covenant that God had established with Abraham. A covenant is where God makes an agreement with us, but he sets the terms and we abide by them. And so part of the covenant of Abraham was that every child had to be circumcised. And uh, covenants are sealed with blood. Actually, Moses is going to go on and make a covenant, form a covenant himself with God. Another spoiler alert. Um, But for some reason, Moses has not circumcised his second son. We find this out because Zipporah, quick off the mark, gets a flint and does the job. Not sure I could have done that to one of my sons, but bless her, she gets it and she does it. Why didn't Moses circumcise his second son? Forgot about it. He's a long way from the people of God, so nobody else is doing it. So actually it doesn't really matter. Let's that one, let that one go. Who knows? But it mattered to God that he hadn't done it, didn't it? Why did it matter to God? Because if Moses couldn't be obedient in the little things, How was God gonna trust him with all this big stuff of leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, getting the 10 commandments and all of that sort of things? I've got big plans for you, Moses, said God, but I have to know that you're gonna obey me in the little things. Does that remember, mind you, of something else somebody else said? Jesus in Luke 16, verse 10, whoever is faithful with very little will also be faithful with much. And the opposite, who is whoever is unfaithful with a little will not be trustworthy for a lot. And so Moses says, I'm, God says, I need to know that I can trust you a little because you're a child of the covenant. And that's obedience in the little things, not just the big things. And he seems to learn his lesson because in chapter 39 and four, verse 43, at the end of the building of the tabernacle, which takes chapters and chapters of detail we read, Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done just as the Lord had commanded. He checked that they'd done what God had asked for. Motia says, the primary mark of the people of God is obedience to his word. So all three of these answered called for a radical obedience from Moses. Who are you Moses? You are not what you do. Lay down your doing identity. Who are you, Moses? You are the creation of God. Trust him and follow him and do what he asks without questioning your ability to do it. Who are you, Moses? You're a child of the covenant. That's a precious agreement with God. And God demands the obedience in the small things before he gives you the obedience, the bigger things. What about you? What about me? Where is your identity? Where do you take your sustenance from? Is it from your work? I am. We end up with a predicate to I am. I am. What happens if that's taken away for you for whatever reason? You lose your job, your health takes whatever. Who are you without your work? Who are you? Are you willing to trust God that you are his creation and do what he asks for you? Even if you feel inadequate, it's not about your adequacy. Equally, don't rely on your own abilities. That's the other side of the equation. Who are you? Do you understand that you are a child of the covenant bought with a price? Scripture says you are not your own. You are bought with a price. And being a child of the covenant requires living a life that is pleasing to God in the small things as well as in the big. This is a call to radical obedience. Casting aside our deeds, our worthiness, our entitlement for we too are the children of of the covenant. And how appropriate, uh, Brian, if you could bring the... How appropriate that today we end with a covenant meal because this probes our identity to the core. Here we set aside any attempt to prove our own worthiness. Here we acknowledge that above all things we are unworthy and that he has called us into a covenant where well, we recognize that we are his. One of the things I say, was saying to the, the workers is that when you've heard all these horrible, horrible stories time and time again, at the end of the time, you have to assert your own identity. I say, my name is Marion. I'm married to Brian, I've got three children, I'm a child of God. That's where my identity is. It's not with the painful stories or anything else. It's with being a child of God. And Jesus said, we read, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The team are going to pass that round. I'm going to ask you to hang on to your bread and wine. um, As we think and contemplate, what has God been saying to you this morning about who you are? Have you invested too much of your identity in what you do, be it your job, your role in the family, your role in the community? Do you need to repent of that? When, as part of the covenant, it requires that we look at ourselves and we examine ourselves and we say sorry to God where we've fallen down. Is that where God wants you to repent and be different? Have you made your life about you and what you were able to cope with rather than turning to God and drawing strength from him. Do you need to say sorry for not trusting him enough? Or maybe for being too self-reliant? Have you forgotten that whilst he has done everything for you, there are things that he requires of you in terms of faithfulness and obedience. Is there any way that you are right now not obeying him, holding on to something that you know he wants you to give up? Maybe something really small other people would say negligible. Are you doing something that you know is being unfaithful to him? Be it ever so small, do you need to say sorry? and commit to being different. Thank you. Lord, we thank you that you love us, not because of what we do, but because You made us and we are yours. We are sorry for the times when we've tried to take charge of our lives. When we haven't followed your calling. When we haven't been faithful to you. We thank you that your word says, if that we say that we have not sinned, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we eat and drink with confidence as children of the covenant, accept our thanks and praise. Let's eat and drink and be thankful. Father, we've sung that you're an amazing, mighty God this morning, you are the great I am, and we are just overwhelmed by your grace and your goodness and the fact that you came down and gave your son for us, for us, Lord, that we might draw close to you, that we might enter the Holy of Holies. Lord, help us to hear your voice Help us to recognize it, and maybe we be quick to obey it. And we not just take the benefits of the covenant without, without the obedience that's required with it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.